Hello, welcome to Tales from the Albright, a podcast by the Scranton Public Library. Hello, everyone. Today we are here with a book discussion with Brianna. Hello. Would you like to discuss how we chose The Firekeeper's Daughter by Angeline Booley? Yes. So this book was actually one of the books that we read for this summer's Battle of the Books competition, which is a countywide book trivia contest, sort of, that we have for all of the Lackawanna County libraries. And this was one of the books that was selected for the 9th through 12th grade age level. So this is one of the books that um, myself and a lot of other librarians in the county read with uh, a lot of our high school students um, to have the competition, which took place at the University of Scranton in August. So Alyssa and I decided we would do this book um, as a really great um, book club recommended book that we had already gotten to explore a little bit through the libraries. Is there a book club kit for it? Yes, there is, actually. I believe that was one of the titles I recommended when we had talked Mm -hmm. about. Would you like to discuss the book club kits? Yes. So actually, we have a really great selection of book club kits that are available with different like fiction and mystery titles, as well as some young adult titles like this one. Um, And we have a few nonfiction titles as well. These book club kits, um, you can check out for a month. They have... 14 copies of the book. It depends a little bit on the contents in terms of they all come with a number of regular print um, copies, but some of them, if we can, have a large type and a audiobook slash play away, but only if those were available. So some of them might only be the paperbacks. Some might have one or both of those extra elements there, but we do have um, a great selection. We have, I want to say about 20 some of the book club kits right now, um, and they're all available for checkout here at the Albright Memorial Library. So you can check those out. Um, One person just has to have the library card then to go check out the book club kit. You can disperse the books to your group and then you're just responsible for collecting them back from everyone when you're done and then for bringing it back. It sounds fun and it sounds like good, especially now that it's getting into the school season. Yeah, Teens who are looking for something to do or adults indoor activities mm-hmm. you can yes. start up a book club yes definitely and there's some great resources we have um, pamphlets that go with the kits that sort of share if you're interested in making a book club sort of ideas if you want to rent a room at the library to do it there's a lot of great resources um, but it's awesome we see a lot of book club groups that come to the library to borrow titles so it's nice to make something that can help with that so do you want to get into the questions i would love to okay We are following um, this book club discussion guide, since the questions are not in the back of the book, like most of the books that we discuss. Alas. You know. The first question. Donis begins every day with a prayer and a morning run. What is the significance of this ritual? What other rituals, both formal and personal, does she engage in? And why are they important to her? I like how we get to see her, first of all, start the book with that ritual, because it's a nice way that she seems to ground herself, um, like, duly in her culture and her family, but also Mm -hmm. in herself. So I think the morning prayer, the Sema that she offers, is a great way that she grounds herself in her um, Anishinaabe roots um, and in her family's beliefs. But then she also goes on her run, which is very much her and a part Mm -hmm. of her identity that she is as as a runner, but also as a hockey player. Like, she is a very... um, physically fit individual which i cannot empathize with but but it's great to see how that reflects um her personality and 
how a lot of what she does also reflects that. She has a lot of habits um, that ground her in both her own physical training and the things that matter. But then also, like, another one would be, I would consider putting the red lipstick on her grandmother every Mm -hmm. time she goes to visit. And those sort of things that, like, ground her in her family as well. And I feel like the significance is is that everyone just has the routines and Mm -hmm. processes that they go through each day. Whether it's, like, you have to have your, like, coffee with your specific breakfast item. Or... Things like that. So while her Donis's is very based in culture and religion and that aspect of it, I, I feel like everyone just has their little rituals that they do and they do it this way. And yeah, if they don't, then they feel odd for the rest of oh, the day. I know. I know. I was thinking that. I was like, what do I do in the mornings? And I don't have a great number of rituals, like making... Like, packing my water and my coffee and my mm-hmm. lunch. Like, I make the coffee the same way every morning. So that could be one. But I do like that that cyclical nature. Like, I know they say that's really good for your mental well-being mm-hmm. is to have routines that sort of get you ready for the day and help you feel like you're starting each day a certain way. So that's definitely a good example of that. Okay, question two. How do you think Donis views her firekeeper side versus her Fontaine side? Do you think she feels a stronger connection to one side of her family than to the other? And why? Does that change over the course of the novel? I felt she was pretty evenly split and divided. She felt very divided. I don't think she leaned one way or the other. I think it depended on who was surrounding her at any given moment. I would agree. I think the hardest part is that while through being with her her mother and her mother's family, I think she seems to be more with the Fontaine mm-hmm. side. At the same time, I think both. Like you said, she doesn't... The hard part is she feels like she doesn't belong to either. And I think that's one of the great things about young adult novels is that it's a lot about, like, finding oneself and feeling like you don't belong often. Mm-hmm. And that's, like, her struggle, I think, is that while she is a Fontaine and she is like spends all this time with her mother and her grandmother um, and she loved her uncle David she has that family but she also feels like because she's part native they don't they don't see her as entirely them Mm -hmm. but then at the same time the firekeeper side she doesn't feel like she entirely belongs to as well no matter how much she practices and grounds herself in those roots so I think we see that that sort of torn part though I would argue that as the book goes on and as it finishes she does find herself more of a firekeeper mm-hmm. because of the way that she grounds herself in that native community and finds a lot of bonds with like her aunts and all of that the the elders of the mm-hmm. community and everything like that and that also leads into the next question Donis talks about keeping her various worlds separate with clear rules saying my life goes more smoothly when hockey world and real world don't overlap. Same as with my Fontaine and Firekeeper worlds. What do you think she means by this? What are the ways in which we see Donis acting to keep her world separate? Have you ever felt like you belong to different worlds? Do you agree it's easier to keep worlds separate? I don't know. I feel like I'm very much a person where, I don't know, maybe it's because I'm older. That's the main <laughs> issue I had with this entire book it was because I'm in my 30s, it was harder for me to look at the people in the age brackets that were the main focus of yeah. the Firekeeper's Daughter. Being where like I'm just 17. like, yeah. <laughs> and feeling like you have to keep everything separate and like you can't mix friends groups and you can't mix family. When I feel like as you get older, you realize that all of those things are what goes into making you, you. So you have to blur them or else you're just going to feel lost forever. 
That's an interesting point. I think that's that's something I would agree with, that I feel like I blend things a lot. But I feel like I would argue that it, it's also hard when you... Like, there's a lot of pros and cons on e- either side. So, like, she struggles with the whole the disconnect and needing to keep them separate. Um, and that can cause problems. But, like, for me, I know, like, my problem is, like, I love what we do for work, but I take it home with me way too much. And I think about it too much, and it... It is so much a part of the identity I have and who I am as a person that sometimes I worry that I lose that, like, outside of work sense of Mm -hmm. me. Like, who am I when I don't think about, like, libraries or books or things like that? So I think that it's understandable to have that fear of when you, like, blend things. But I do agree with you, especially with people, that as you get out of teenage years, it's way easier to blend Mm -hmm. people. You would know. You're the master of that, Alyssa. (laughs) (laughs) Alyssa welcomes everyone from every area of her life and is like, hello, meet this person. I mean, you force everyone together all <laughs> yes. the time. Yes, exactly. So it's like, yeah. you you are seamless at that. I think it's just because I realized that all of those are important aspects yeah. of my personality and who I am. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, if someone doesn't care for, like, everything, then, like, I'm not going to go out of my way to separate that off. You get all of me or none of me. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, okay, like, <laughs> then don't come. Like, I don't know. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. Everyone's invited. Yeah, yeah. I don't like people, just don't go. Yeah, you are are very different than Donna's in that way. Yeah. She'd be like, she should be getting such anxiety from me. (laughs) And even, I think, like, between work and home, I don't know, I feel like it's just like a getting older thing where I, there are some days where I go home and I bring it home with me, but most days I'm like, I can't do anything about it, so I'm not going to worry about any of it. That's fair. I admire you. Sometimes I wish my brain was more like yours, Alyssa. (laughs) It took a lot of practice and work. (laughs) Maybe when I hit 30, it'll work. Okay, the next question. Donis often seeks wisdom and guidance from the elders. Can you describe the role of the elders in the Ojibwe community? How does this compare to the role of senior citizens in your community? I love this because this feels like one of those great connecting moments to us reading... uh, the Richard Osmond. Oh, Thursday Murder Club? Thursday Murder Club. I couldn't think of the day of the week it was supposed to be. <laughs> this ties so perfectly in terms of like discussing different books because I feel like that book we talked about, like how do we treat elders? Mm-hmm. And it's interesting. This is a great example of like a culture that highly respects elders. Yes. Um, and that's always been one of my favorite things about Native Native American um, and Native peoples is the that respect for elders and their wisdom and their guidance. And I think that's great. In this book, it does a really fun thing that is my favorite part of YA is when they make things like fun and silly. So they take this great respect for elders and their importance and then they like give Minnie Manitou a Mustang and like <laughs> they, they make it fun. Like they, they make the elders interesting yeah. and like they hold a lot of wisdom and like play an actual role in the book. And mm-hmm. I think it's so much fun. I feel like they're so much more organized. Yeah. Then senior citizens communities that I see around in our area. True. They all seem connected, very ingrained in like what's happening, what's going on. And I think that's the main difference I yeah. see. Yeah. Like they carry a lot of the wisdom of the culture, but in an organized way that mm-hmm. like keeps it. Both Donis and Jamie struggle with their identities. Donis feels pulled between multiple identities, whereas Jamie doesn't have any sense of where he comes from. What similarities and differences do they have in how they consider their identities? That's a great question. I think it's interesting to see how 
Donis has like the opposite problem of Jamie mm-hmm. in that she has too much history um, and too much of a sense of like feeling tied down by and like I feel like she feels like she's almost limited in a lot of ways and dictated by her family's history and like what happened with her parents and her mm-hmm. father. And I feel like Jamie has that opposite of where they both think the grass is greener, where Mm -hmm. Jamie, I think, wishes he had more ties to his roots and an understanding of where he came from. Whereas Donis, I think, would see that freedom and that lack. She doesn't, in a lot of ways, I feel like she doesn't respect him for it because Mm -hmm. he doesn't have a sense of who he is. But I think that there is um, a sense that either one of them think it would be easier to be each other in some ways. I think a lot of her lack of respect for him is because we never know who he is. Yeah. <laughs> like, we never know what's right. <laughs> every single time she'd be like, you're a guy who lies. I'm like, are we a Taylor Swift song? I mean, hey. Yes. Because we never really find out who Jamie is. We don't True. know anything about his background besides yeah. the fact that he works for the Bureau of Indian Affairs mm-hmm. and the fact that he's apparently perfectly fine posing as a 17-year-old and attending high school as a 22-year-old federal agent. I mean, <laughs> it, he reminded me of the how in movies they're like, that actor is like 27 yeah. and they're playing like a 16-year-old. Gave me that feeling of like, hmm, that's an interesting, interesting qualm there. I know it's true that we don't know anything about him, but at the same time, I feel like he, for all he can't share any details of his actual life and identity, he does still share a lot of, like, the internal stuff of who he is with her, which is why I still liked him. Like, I didn't actively dislike him. I didn't dislike him. Yeah. He was fine. He was chill. Yeah. I feel like I would like a bit more backstory, just so, even if he didn't tell her. True. Like, I we could like to know. be a fly on the wall, get some of that omniscient third third person yeah. narrator. That- even if it's not like where he was from, but like if we could even just get his like journey of how he became an agent, I think the only backstory we really get is how he gets his scar. That's true. Yeah, that he yeah because he gets he gets cut. I feel like it's interesting. I'm interested in Ron's background. Yes. It's, it's like the Charlie Swan effect from Twilight. I want to know what the, the like the dad figure, what his background yeah. is, slash uncle, I guess, in this case. Because his, his story seems interesting, too, how he got there. But yeah, no, they're, they're an interesting bunch. I like the realism of the fact that she doesn't reveal it, because I feel like it feels like in books and movies that like play out the backstory mm-hmm. that it's very like staged. So it's nice that it's at least realistic that she yeah. never would have found out these details, but it's true that it would have been nice for us if we got to find them out. We Just would have liked it. something yeah. like a paragraph of like snippet of being yeah. like, I don't know. But I think it's also because the book is told from Donis's perspective. We right. were never getting it too. Yes. And that's a great like quintessential part of young adult fiction is that first person perspective mm-hmm. and getting to actually see through their point of view. Like this book would have been an interesting, more traditional mystery if we got that third person point of view. Yeah. But it's much more grounded in like the characters because it's first person. Okay. Question six. Aunt Teddy describes a blanket party as Nishkoi justice. What do you think of this form of justice? What do you think led to the creation of blanket parties? How do you think this might influence Donis's understanding of justice? Like as a concept, I find mm-hmm. it so, I don't know. It's just that perfect, um, not comeuppets, but like. You do what you have to do when the system is consistently failing you. Exactly. Like I feel like there's so many ways that. She points out that there's there's no protections on, like, native land mm-hmm. against these sort of things. And it's great to see how the community is about protecting its own and finding a way to protect them, even, mm-hmm. like you said, when the system fails you. And it's great to see 
the way that they find community in it. That was my mm-hmm. favorite part is like seeing how um, it's a way that these women are like brought together to bring justice and feel like they've they've like done something. They don't like murder mm-hmm. anything. I think that it's a great way for the community to come together and for these women to like find a peace, sense of peace together. Mm-hmm. And also I love how at the end Donis, when she joins them, reflects on the relief she feels at not seeing other girls mm-hmm. her age there. And it's nice to see how it's about like them caring for each other and protecting each other. Question seven. Donis has many facets to her identity. Hockey superstar, science geek, Nishque, Fontaine, and eventually confidential informant. How does each aspect of her identity come into play during her investigation? They all have to work together. She has to blend all of her worlds and her identities and everything to realize that there aren't clear divisions. And because the whole meth ring is throughout all of it. Right. Exactly. It affects every aspect of her life, not just one particular Mm -hmm. aspect. And that's a good point. I feel like this, for like a pop culture reference, reminds me of Loki. And there's all the different Lokis. He has like all the different uh, versions of Mm -hmm. himself. And I'm like, it's interesting to picture all these different versions of Donis and how they play in. But I like how what you just said is kind of your like way of being like, ha, I was right. We need to (laughs) blend our identities. Precisely. Things that impact one aspect of your life filter into the other aspects. Yeah, and that's that's a very good point. And that's, I think, a lot of what that that sort of plot point is about, is that there you can't just consider the one dimension of it. Yeah. Like, this, this, like, meth X problem does not affect just, like, native people. It affects, mm-hmm. like, every aspect of their lives and people around them. And, like, it's just so much more complex than what you can simplify it to in, like, a news headline. Mm-hmm. Okay, question eight. Teddy tells Donis, not every elder is a cultural teacher, and not all cultural teachers are elders. It's okay to listen to what people say and only hold on to the parts that resonate with you. It's okay to leave the rest behind. Trust yourself to know the difference. What do you think Teddy means by this? How does she define the difference between a cultural teacher and an elder? What does Donis choose to hold on to from her culture, and what does she choose to leave behind? That's a really... I, I keep saying, wow, that's a good question. Because <laughs> I'm just like perpetually like, ooh, I like that question. Um, I think it's really true that... So like as we just were saying how important it is to respect elders, it is also true that like just because you have age and time and experience doesn't mean that you know everything or that you understand that any given individual's experience. So mm-hmm. one of the great, like, complexities to Donis's experience is that, for example, the meth X, which is the big problem of this story, that did not exist decades prior when something like, like the elders were growing up. Mm-hmm. Like, there are a lot of factors that come into play, um, and, like, her love of science, and, like, there's just so much to their experience that is going to be different, and how it's a matter of sort of learning from what, our elders have to teach us but also remembering perspective and mm-hmm. how different it is and how some people may have harmful perspectives like i'm trying to think most of the elders were very positive i know levi firekeeper's mom levi jr's mom yeah. dana was problematic though i don't know if she counts as an elder i don't know how i don't think she, she is. is i was gonna say she's only in i would guess like her 40s in this probably in this. yeah she's a little younger but she's an example like of mm-hmm. someone or like oh lily's family that's a good one like lily's grandma june is a major player in this story 
and she has a lot to offer. But I know she talks about how a lot of the the mothers and parents her age were scarred by mm-hmm. a lot of what they saw of um, like the boarding schools mm-hmm. and the way their families were treated, and they have a very different experience because today that would never like be allowed and never happen so i think their perspectives are different no i think that's true though i think it's you have to take what people say and apply it right and in that application you have to weigh what people are saying and how much it actually applies yes um i don't i feel like i don't know what she chooses to leave behind from her culture I don't know. I don't know if it's... Maybe it's more talking about, like, the loyalty to family. That's true. Yeah, the sense that, like, because she is betrayed by firekeepers, which are supposed to be her family. Mm-hmm. So if it's that sense of, like, a blind loyalty, um, like, even the way her brother treats her is that sort of just because it's her brother doesn't mean she has to, like, accept the way that he treated mm-hmm. her. Question nine. Describe Donis's feelings after she learns that her testimony can be used in the court. Why do you believe the author made this choice? She's justifiably absolutely livid. Oh, yeah. And I think Wooly made this choice because that's what happens. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she shows a lot of the reality of um, experience and how while we want to put our, our faith in the system, sometimes the system will fail us. Like, it I'm, is, and that is a true, true to, like, native experiences of yes. the world. And um, often yeah. when you're going between the United States federal justice system, interacting with tribal justice systems and tribal laws, the separation there and lines get blurred and mixed up, and often you're just not going to be able to testify depending on where things took place and where the boundary lines are. And it's a mess. Yeah. It's sad to see how it's one of those hard things where like we, we do our best and we try to find justice where we can, but sometimes there will be things that, that don't work out that way. Mm -hmm. And that's a a good example of them. But that's also why I like that she is very realistic about Mm -hmm. the way the world works and it's not all sunshines and rainbows. It's, it's real. Okay, question 10. Why did the author choose to end the story on a powwow scene? How does this speak to the themes of the book? I feel like I took it as that's what Donis was aiming for. Because when she and Jamie go to the powwow, she feels very separate, not regarded because she's not allowed. Because she's not a member of the tribe at that point. And she was still in mourning, right? Is that also why she couldn't? I for her uncle think first, because so. I think she was in mourning for her uncle and then in mourning for Lily, mm-hmm. and so she couldn't participate in. I thought she couldn't participate because she wasn't a member of the tribe officially. I don't know. I know. I just remember the mourning part, and I remember she comes out of mourning at the end. But that's true. That it is nice to see how she finally like it comes full circle Mm -hmm. and that is the one thing i love about a lot of like native spiritual beliefs that is reflected in the structure of this book is that cyclical nature Mm -hmm. of things like the cyclical nature of rituals that we start the book with and that we started our conversation with and then this is sort of a coming full circle moment of bringing it back to something we saw early on but now she gets to be fully part of it and it Mm -hmm. is really interesting to see to see how her participation in it reflects like that bringing that part of her identity in with everything else. Yeah, I think it also reflects that she's getting to a place where she kind of feels peace with everything, too. Okay, question 11. 
Donis refers to the seven grandfather teachings, which are love, humility, respect, honesty, bravery, wisdom, and truth. Can you name specific moments where Donis is able to embody these teachings? Are there certain characters or moments that help Donis learn these teachings? I feel like in her interactions with the elders, she learns a lot of them. Mm -hmm. Um, And in just the way that she sort of tries to find herself, but also in finding herself, like she finds the pieces like bravery and things like that. But I think she always maintains that sense of humility and those sort of more um, about her community and how she belongs to it and how she interacts with other people and not just about herself. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think the experiences that she has throughout the book really just... It's kind of all of them all at once. Right. She has to go through the process of growing as a person, which teaches her about, like, love for her family and the different facets of each of these. Right. Where traditional bravery is, like, going out and doing something brave. But right. it can also be those quiet moments where she agrees to help the FBI. Yeah. Or with honesty, she's very big on lies and she's very confused all the time that people have their own secrets <laughs> which I, I didn't understand i was like of course people yeah. always have their secrets but i think she has to learn that honesty necessarily doesn't mean telling everyone everything all of the time right and it's being true to yourself and that's how you're honest so i think it's her expanding upon all of the concepts and learning that there's different facets to each. That's a good point. I like that a lot. How is Firekeeper's Daughter different from other coming-of-age novels? How is it similar? I love this. I love <laughs> I love talking about young adult literature and why coming-of-age is what it is in these stories. I think this is a great one. What sets it apart to me is the way that Angeline Bully just so effectively weaves, like she does the genre bending of weaving so many different things into this book. Like it's great because it's like a mystery, but also kind of like a thriller in some Mm -hmm. parts and then also coming of age. And she manages to like weave these other genres in that sort of bring it to life. But then she also like in expanding it in those ways, then grounds it in the Native American, um, like the culture and what it means to be Ojibwe and what the modern experience of that life is, Mm -hmm. not just historically, which is what we might learn in history class, but quite literally what it is like Mm -hmm. in the day to day. And I think that's great for teens to sort of see themselves in what they're reading mm-hmm. and for anyone like even those of us who are a little or a lot beyond it <laughs> <laughs> if you're Alyssa, you're pretty mentally beyond it as she has pointed out <laughs> she's a little a little beyond but that coming of age feeling is i think something that everyone can empathize with i think we all even if we don't remember it very intimately we mm-hmm. know like we we do remember in in a lot of ways what that was like yeah. So it it has a lot of those feelings, but expands it in a lot of ways. This is my young adult reader library inside of me coming out. Yeah, Yeah. I just, I don't have much to add to that because I feel like that's very true. I also think that a lot of coming of age stories to me are very high school focused. And this takes place over like the summer. Yeah, that's true. And she's about to start college. So it's a little beyond (laughs) where a lot of them start. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's good to see these sort of stories that sort of incorporate diversity, not just for for the sake of diversity, but for the sake of 
what is it like to really live and experience mm-hmm. as a young person in this in this place and in this time of this background do you have any final thoughts I mean, I just would say I, I, I really liked this book, and I think it's a great read. Um, it's a pretty it's a pretty hefty one, too. It's a pretty thick, thick book. Um, but I think that it's great for readers of all ages. Like we said, it's a young adult novel, but it's, I think, really good for adults to read as well. There's a lot to, like, learn and take away from it. Mm-hmm. And like I told Alyssa when we talked about this briefly before, it's very much... Um, you may just assume that young adult novels are the same. I know a lot of people do. Um, but at the same time, I think there's something to be learned and taken away from it in a in a very real way, mm-hmm. which is why I like it so much. Yeah, I will say I was confused about what time period it was in to I start. Was, I think it is about now, maybe no, five, ten years ago. Yeah. 10, 10, 15? No, it's like 20 years ago. It's like really? 2005. Okay, well, that's what... To me, that, that's 10, <laughs> 10, 15 years ago in my brain. Um, um, I was going to say it's definitely not before 2000. Like, it is no. set in the early 2000s, I would say. Yeah, because yeah. I because all of a sudden it just, like, I thought it was modern day. And all of a sudden it's talking about Nokia cell phones. Yeah. And, like... <laughs> well, actually, I would do some Googling on that because in certain parts, particularly on Native American reservations, the technology is not always... No, but then it says that it's in 2005. <laughs> Wait, when did she say that? She goes into it at one point because I... I don't know what page this is, 22-ish. Lily agrees with everyone who's been yammering nonstop about the new soup since the team for the 2004-2005 season was announced a week ago. Ah, interesting. Well, then that's that's technically your qualm is that they didn't lay out the year very early, but that was 20 pages in. It was, but it just felt like a long time. <laughs> 20, page 22 out of... Hold on a second. Hold on a second. Percentage based here out of 488. It took me a while to get through the first bit. I don't know what to tell you. That's true. Yeah, you did have a slower start. Yeah. Yeah, and then there was just like something, because I remember those years very vividly. I was in high school. In elementary school, so I don't have very clear memories. I have some. Um, And so sometimes they would mention things and I'd be like, was that then? Yeah. I feel like that came about later. I wonder. That's an interesting story. So I like started I w- would sit there and I would start Googling like when did the iPod come out? Oh my god. <laughs> You're fact checking Angeline Bully. Making well, sure she doesn't have any anachronisms in there. Well, because I was just confused. I'm like, I definitely did not have that then. Well maybe you were just weren't cool enough. I probably wasn't <laughs> cool. have an iPod in two thousand five. I thought the iPod came out in like two thousand seven, two thousand eight. No, the iPod came. The first iPod came out two thousand one. I learned that. Really? Yeah. Wow. See, you learned things. I did. <laughs> yeah. Overall, I feel like I really enjoyed learning the cultural aspects. Yes. And I feel like I, I was fine even with like the meth plot. I know I was reading some reviews and some people had like some issues with that. Uh, I was fine with that. Um, I just wish. Like, I think for me to get the most out of the book, I would have had to been this age, like, a bit younger to mm-hmm. get the most out of it. Because a lot of things that were said or actions that were taken, I was just kind of like, that's how it is. Like, what What are you doing? <laughs> You're also a highly logical person. Also. Yeah, I know. And I that's the problem. So I feel like I just kind of wanted to yell at them for being silly often. 
insight into the podcast, everybody, is that it's great to, to do a book club with Alyssa, who's so logical that every, every time we read a book and she's like, why is this person dictated by emotion? This is strange. It's not even emotion. She's just, I'm like, she's like, oh, people have secrets. And I'm so upset that people have secrets. Yeah, everyone has secrets, Donis. Do you have secrets? Uh, I would never go back to high school now as an undercover cop. I think that's the tagline of this episode. I would never go back to high school as an undercover cop. But who knows? Maybe you would. Uh, you you couldn't pay me enough, enough about, money. <laughs> you don't know enough about Jamie's background to know why he did it. No, we don't even know if Jamie's real age, probably. <laughs> I thought you were about to say we don't know if Jamie's real, because that would be a real plot twist. Okay, so if you have any thoughts, questions, comments, would you like to check out the book club kit, or just the book itself, feel free to call the library at 570-348-3000. Or if you'd like to send me any messages for any reason... <laughs> Email me at aloney at albright.org. That is A-L-O-N-E-Y at albright.org. Thank you for listening. Thank you again to Brianna for being here. My pleasure. And I'll see you guys next time. Mm-hmm.